Oklahoma or you're watching this video on Vimeo, I am not the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. My hope is that in about 30 minutes, you're not greatly relieved by the fact that I'm not the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. But, but today in the sanctuary service, we did this crazy thing where the lead pastor, teaching pastor, our pastor, Tim, led worship, which was really amazing. And now I, Rod, the worship guy, am going to be preaching. We'll see um, how that is. I, I was really nervous about that until... Well, I'm still really nervous about that, but I was really nervous about that until it struck me that um, Tim's leading us to worship the same God that I'm going to talk to you about. And it's really about the God that we've gathered to worship and learn from more than it is about the pastor or the worship pastor or even the church. And so today I want to share with you um, something that I think can change our lives from the Word of God. Um, Let me start with this. Because I'm the worship guy... And when I knew I was going to have a chance to speak to you, I thought, I, I probably shouldn't talk about worship because that's what everybody's going to expect me to talk about. And then I thought, yeah, but you don't get the chance to talk in church very much, so maybe you ought to talk about worship. So I thought, okay, let's, let's entertain that idea. So then I thought, what should I, what should I talk about? And I thought of this song, My Jesus, I Love Thee, which has been around for, um, well, longer than any of us have been around. It's been around a long time. And I started... Uh, reading that text and meditating on that text, taught it to the choir. We, we took it apart in a choir retreat setting and um, really spent a lot of time in my Jesus, I love thee. And then I, I was praying about what to talk with you about today. Um, and I had this impression that I needed to talk about what Jesus really taught about love, not what I wanted to teach about love. Because see, for me as a worship guy, what I want to say about love is, would you please just love Jesus? I mean, like when it's time to sing, don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about what the song is or where era it came from or what style it is. Just love Jesus. That's what I want to talk about. But I think, I think what's amazing is what Jesus talked about. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what Jesus says about love. And the way we're going to do that is by learning from one of his best friends, actually probably his very best friend, whose name was Peter or Simon, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Simon Peter grew up in a Jewish home, and from the time he was held in his mother's arms, and, and she, would have, um, she would have recited the Old Testament to him from story time to story time. But at the core of all of that would have been a teaching called the Shema. And you might have heard of that. It's a pretty famous um, passage of Scripture, and it's used not only by those who are Jewish, but those who are Christian. And, and here's what the Shema says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. That's the Shema. So what's at the heart of the Shema? It's love God. And I am sure, quite sure, that Peter spent all of his life trying to figure out how to love God. What does that look like? Conversations he would have with his friends. So what do you think it means to love God? Um, Sitting around the the boat out on the lake as they're fishing. What is, how do you do this? Um, (laughs) And then he meets Jesus, who really shows him how to do this. 
And I thought maybe because Jesus and Peter were best friends, if we got to know Peter, we could know better what Jesus says about how to love God. And so I want to tell you the story of Peter, and that's what the table's doing up here. And it starts with a fish. <clears throat> if you're listening but not watching, you should know I'm not holding a real fish. For those of you who can see it, you can tell. This is from James and Linda, Linda Hunter's bathroom. Um, <clears throat> so when James goes fishing, he's guaranteed to catch something. Peter's life was spent as a fisherman. He was a small businessman. He and his brother Andrew and their best friends, James and John, owned a business, and it was a fishing business. They were a part of the industry there. They'd go out to work in the morning, and they'd probably fight with each other and wrestle with each other and yell at each other when the net ripped, and whose fault is that? I mean, they were just small businessmen. Andrew, Peter's brother, was the guy who originally brought him to Jesus. And um, Andrew had found Jesus, and oh my goodness, this could be the Messiah, this could be the one. Peter, you've got to come and meet him. Um, I, I love that about Jesus, that he entered Peter's world. He didn't just enter the world, he didn't just enter, you know, like come from heaven to all of earth. He came to Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, and he came to them in their business. He sought them out. He found them. I want to tell you today that Jesus still does that. He's still seeking you out. He's still looking for you. He still wants to find you. And he will come to you, to your home, to your place of business, to your school. He will come and, and find you like he came and found Peter. Jesus is a seeker. Now, along the way, Peter says, yes, I'll follow you. I'll quit fishing people. I'll or fishing for fish and start fishing for people. And, and um, then Jesus changes Peter's name. Can anybody guess what Peter's name means? Rock. You guys are amazing. That was really good. Yes. Rock. Now, I, I found this really interesting as well. Um, in the first century... No one had ever been named Peter before, ever, like in all of recorded human history, which had been a long time by then. There had never been a Peter. You probably know a Peter or Pete. Um, Peter's name before Jesus renamed him was Simon. Simon was the most common, ordinary name that existed in their culture. Everybody was Simon, kind of like Jose in Mexico, I guess, or Bob in my parents' generation. You know, everybody was called Simon. Jesus meets Simon, looks into Simon's eyes and says, I see something deeper here. I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. It's really fascinating, and we'll come back to this in, in, in a little bit. Nobody else called Peter Peter, including Jesus, until about halfway through the book of Acts. Long after Jesus is crucified and dead and buried and rises again and the church has started, then eventually people start calling Simon Peter. But even at the end of the story of Jesus and Simon Peter, he calls him Simon. I find that um, really fascinating. I think it's because not until we learn to do what Jesus tells us to do do we become who he says we have become. We say that a different way. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. When, when we have fully come into who Jesus means us to be, then we have become who he says we are. Your identity is formed as you do what he calls us to do. 
and Simon was Simon and Simon and Simon and Simon, and then he starts getting it right. And then he starts living it right. And then he becomes Peter, the person that Jesus declared years and years before that he was. It doesn't stop with the rock, though. Um, Probably wasn't in a kayak, but in a fishing boat that Peter lived a great deal of his life and ministry with Jesus. There was a lot of stuff that took place on the lake. Um, Jesus once told them to, to go fishing again after they'd been fishing all night. Can you, you know what that's like, right? When somebody tells you to do something and you know better than they do, but they tell you anyway. You know how frustrating that is, don't you? That never happens in our household, unless I'm the one doing the telling. But um, <clears throat> yeah, Jesus says, go fish again. I know you've been fishing all night, but go fish again. So they do, and they have a miraculous catch of fish. At one time, there's this conversation going on about taxes, not the render unto Caesar conversation, but another one. And, um, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, get your fishing pole, go out and catch one fish. And in that fish, you're going to find a coin in the mouth of that fish, and that's going to pay our taxes. And he does, just because Jesus said. Uh, one of the most um, amazing stories to me is when Jesus is on the shore and the disciples are out on the boat and, and Jesus just walks out to them. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Or when Jesus and Peter are um, in, in a similar situation, Jesus is walking out to them and, and Peter sees him and says, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. And Peter walks on the water. This is Jesus' best friend who walks on the water. It's an amazing story. So much of Peter's life was lived on the lake. This is a tiny megaphone. Let's see. I was told it works. Hey, it does. It's pretty fun. Just put that away before I get in trouble. So there's another time in Peter's story where he, um, he makes a declaration. He announces something. Jesus has been asking, who do people say I am? Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. Nobody can figure it out, I think is probably what they were thinking. And God gives the grace to Peter to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter gets it. He knows who Jesus is. He recognizes him. I think that's amazing, personally. Um, the most cumbersome of my illustrations, a pillow. You all know what it's like to disappoint your best friend? I do. Um, in my married life, my best friend's my wife, and I've disappointed her a bunch. I hate it. Little disappointments are big disappointments. I hate it. When I was in high school, my best friend was Mike, and I hated disappointing Mike. Peter's in the garden. Um, Jesus says, hey, would you stay awake and pray for me? Because I'm about to go do something really difficult. Peter says, absolutely, God. Jesus, I'll, I will pray for you. I will stay awake because that's the way Peter is. He's a rock after all. And Jesus goes off and prays and he comes back and Peter's falling asleep. Happens two more times. And Jesus' very best friend on this planet disappoints him. The words of Jesus after that are pretty amazing. He, um, he communicates that he's kind of disappointed but then he says, I extend grace. And the way he says that is the, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
I, I will cover this with grace. I am so glad that Jesus still does that. For you and for me, when we disappoint him, and I don't know about you, but I have done it already several times today, when we disappoint him, he says, um, man, I hope you can do better, but receive my grace. I think Peter probably learned something from that and was kind of bolstered from that because then um, a few minutes later, maybe rested up from his nap, some temple soldiers, about a hundred of them, and Roman soldiers, another hundred of them come with torches blazing and their bellies afire with vengeance and anger, and they come to arrest Jesus in the garden. And Peter, being Peter, pulls out his hidden sword and says, I got you, Jesus, and tries to take off Malchus's head. Malchus is a Roman soldier. He's been attacked before, so he ducks quickly, and Peter just gets the earlobe. Jesus says, hold on, guys. This is not why I've come. He picks up the earlobe and puts it back on. <laughs> How amazing is that? I wonder what kind of stories Malchus told. Oh, check out this scar, guys. This is when that time in the garden and we went to get this criminal, we thought, and then he put my ear back on. How crazy is that? So he disappoints Jesus. Then he defends Jesus. <clears throat> then he goes to the courtyard See, he wanted to be close enough to Jesus to keep up with the trial. He wanted to know what was going on. It was his very best friend. So he went to the courtyard and he said, um, I, I got to listen in. He's probably there with John. They were probably hanging out together. They're the only two that we know of that were around. And he said, um, John, I'm going to go over by the fire and see if I can get some from that little slave girl. So he goes over and there's a charcoal fire burning. So amazing that the Gospel of John specifies it's a charcoal fire. Charcoal fire burning, and, and this little middle school-aged slave girl says, hey, aren't you a Jesus? <laughs> and Peter, being the manly man who pulled a sword just a little bit ago, says, no, little middle school girl, I've never heard of him. And he probably goes to another charcoal fire, and there's a, a man standing there, and he says, you've got a little Galilean accent. Aren't you with Jesus? No, no, never knew him. One more time goes to another man, and another charcoal fire, and the third time he says, Jesus, I, or this Jesus, I, I don't know him. In, in fact, he, he kind of cusses about it. And then a rooster crows, just like Jesus had predicted. And in the, in the Gospel of Luke, he tells us that Jesus looked right at Peter as soon as the rooster crowed and caught his eye. And I can't imagine. I can't imagine being Peter, wanting to love God from the time I was a baby. And, I, and I've got this opportunity, and I'm in the courtyard, and I'm trying to stay close enough to the courtroom, but I can't get in, so I stay in the courtyard. And, and, I, and I deny him the third time, and then he looks at me in the face, and I've just... I've just disappointed my best friend in the deepest way imaginable. And if you know the story of Jesus, you know what happened after that. He was beaten and crucified. He died. He was buried in a, in a borrowed tomb because he was homeless, pretty much. And three days later, he rose from the dead and kicked Satan's rear end.
conquered death, conquered sin, everything that have ever been the enemy of humanity, Jesus defeated at the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. We can clap for that. Thank you. Um, and I don't know what it was like for Peter after that. I, I think he was probably confused, don't you? Like, what? What does this mean? And confident at the same time. Oh my gosh, Jesus just rose from the dead. That's never been done before. And I think he was just wrestling through, trying to figure out what does all this mean? And, and he would see Jesus at various opportunities after that. And then one day on the beach, there's a man by a, another charcoal fire. And he's grilling some fish. To which I say... It's breakfast time. Ew. But he's grilling some fish over the charcoal fire. And Peter and John and some of those guys are out on the boat because they're trying to figure out what to do with their life now. Do we go back to work? I, I, don't, I guess so. So they're out fishing and they see this guy on the shore and, and they have a conversation across the water. And Peter goes, it's Jesus. And he, he's been working, so he's got his shirt off. He puts his shirt off on, and he, he starts swim running. Have you ever done that? Like you're trying to get through the water really fast, so you, you can't swim because it's not fast enough, but if you run, it slows you down. So he's, he's swim running to the shore, and, and he gets there, and he's, it's his best friend, and he gets to see him again. And then the smell of charcoal and the reminder of that night in the courtyard. And it must have just been brutal. I mean, if there's anything more powerful than the sense of seeing, and he saw Jesus, it would be the, side, the, the sense of smell. And he smells the charcoal fire, and, and I know, I just know that Jesus did that on purpose. And so there's conversation happening, and then finally Jesus says to Peter, well, let's, let's read it. John chapter 21. Some of you were wondering if I was ever going to look at the Bible, weren't you? John chapter 21. If you're following us in the live event on version, this entire passage is there for you. <clears throat> Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, you see both of those names? They can't figure out what to call them yet. Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John. And two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Oh, how much I wish it was Jesus right now. Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, hey, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did, and they, they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped it for work. He, he jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from there. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. There it is, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Hey, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. The third time. Hmm. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, and then he went on to tell him about how he's going to die. And we're not going to go that far. Feed my sheep. <clears throat> Never seen sheep shavings before, but that's it. Feed my sheep. There's a whole lot more to Peter's story. A whole lot more. He goes on to just be the leader of the church, basically. He's kind of the head apostle. If somebody has a question, they go to him. And the end of Peter's story is amazing. But at this point, it hasn't been lived yet. He doesn't know the end of his story. He's been through all of this stuff, fishing and the renaming and the life on the water and the declaration of who Jesus is and disappointing him and then defending him and then really denying him and then being reinstated by him and told what to do and and then there's this journal that Peter might have kept, and the second half of it's empty. <clears throat> so is yours. So is mine. And, and we've got a story with Jesus, too, and it's up to us how the end of the story is going to come out. Peter's is pretty amazing. And I wonder if your grandchildren or great-grandchildren or goodness knows a book might be written about your life and the people who read it years from now, if they will read an ending like Peter's ending. So this is how I think Jesus taught Peter to love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. How do I do that? Walk with Jesus. Feed my sheep. And so I wonder today where you find yourself on this table. Um, maybe you're the big fish that Jesus has come looking for. Maybe a friend brought you to church today. And you've had this gnawing sense in your gut since the very first words of Psalm 100 were spoken today that God really is good. And it's not just that you were brought to church, but maybe you've been brought to Jesus today. Maybe you've come 
wondering what you were looking for, and Jesus came knowing he was looking for you. If that's your story today, um, in about seven or eight minutes when we sing a song, we'd love for you to come down and share that. And you don't have to decide anything. We'd just like to know how to answer your next question, how to help you take the next step. But if you have this sense in your gut that you're the, you're the person Jesus is looking for today, I hope you'll let us know. I, I suspect more of us are down the table a ways. You have heard the proverbial rooster crow, and you're aware of your disappointment of Jesus. Your sin is bogging you down. You can't find joy in living because you're so oppressed by the sense that you've disappointed God. He says, let's go get a meal. I want to restore you. You know, Peter was... uh, he denied Jesus three times, right? And then the rooster crowed. How many times did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him? Three times. One for every time that Jesus let him down, or that Peter let him down. I, Peter, I know that you disappointed me. Feed my sheep. Peter, I know you denied me. Tend my lambs. Peter, Peter I know that you wanted to, and you wanted to, and you wanted to, but you couldn't. Feed my sheep. I want to tell you today, with all of the authority that the Word of God can provide, that Jesus stands ready to forgive you. You do not have to live under the burden of that sin or that guilt or that feeling that you have disappointed Jesus, regardless of how you have disappointed Jesus. Now, if you want to compare stories, you can start reading the Bible and compare stories, but chances are your story isn't as bad as the people in the Bible. I think that's why those stories are in the Bible, because our story looks actually kind of pretty good compared to, what did Simon Peter do? And how did Jesus confront him? What did David do? What did Moses do? There is no sin great enough that it's greater than the grace of Jesus Christ. And today, maybe you need to smell some charcoal and believe that Jesus really has forgiven you. And then there are the rest of us. We live forgiven lives. We know Jesus And we want to love Jesus. And he says, um, (laughs) I think he says, that's really dirty. Uh, But after that, he says, um, feed my sheep. You see, love is a a really delightful emotion, isn't it? When I feel love for my wife or my daughters, when I feel love for you, my church, it just feels so good. Love is a delightful emotion, but it's a powerful action. And when you can turn that feeling into activity, you really become who Jesus says you are. And it changes everything about the way we live. It's so beautiful. When we feed sheep and tend lambs and take care of the flock, um, we are living out the love inside of us that we have for God, and and it matters. It changes things. Don't panic. I'm going to page through all of my notes because I need to go to the last page. So I'm finished with all that. That's the good news. Uh, 
I want to give you some ways that you can very practically feed sheep today or this week or this month or in the coming weeks. I don't expect that anybody in this room would do all seven of these things I'm going to tell you about, but I would hope that all of us, in the sound of my voice, would pick one. The first one is to tend the lambs in your house. If you have children or grandchildren that are in your home, would you just take care of them spiritually as well as physically and emotionally? Tend the lambs in your house. Maybe for you, you don't have children or grandchildren yet, but you've got parents and they need some tending. That doesn't mean they need to be told what to do, but it might mean that they need to be told about the love of Jesus. In your home, with your brothers or your sisters, tend your sheep. The second one I want to give you is to serve our littlest lambs here at church. We have an amazing group of people who hold babies and sing to them and read to them and love on them and tell them about Jesus. From before they know words, they're hearing about how Jesus loves them. We could use some more people to do that. Would you consider? Yeah, I think it's time for me to step into holding a baby and tending a lamb. This one, I, I can't figure out exactly how to say it, so forgive me for mumbling through it, but um, let's protect one another. Let's be sheep looking out for sheep. If, if you see a brother or sister who's about to fall over, um, just go prop them up really quick. You know, sheep, if they fall over, they can't get up. Kind of like a turtle on his back is a sheep on its side. And that's one of the roles of the shepherd was to come over, and if they saw a sheep that was laying down, they had to get it back up quickly because they're just too stupid to stand up. And their legs are like sticks. Um, sometimes I'm too stupid to stand up too. And I need you to come alongside of me and say, hey, hey, hey don't, don't fall there. I got you. Can we be that way for each other? Sometimes it feels more like we're ready to kick somebody over than pick them up. But Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. The fourth one, um, you hear about care night every couple of months. Warren will announce it. There'll be a slide up sometimes. We'll tell you in the bulletin what's going on. And, and we'll have about 2% of the congregation show up to care. And I don't mean that you're not caring. I just mean that maybe more of us ought to show up to care the way that Warren sets it up for us to care. Maybe the way we can tend sheep and feed lambs is to come and care and reach everyone on care night. There's one coming up on the 23rd of November. We're about to launch a new ministry here. Um, it's a once-a-month thing called Room in the Inn where homeless folks who need a place to sleep will come from Bowling Green to our church. And we'll need some people to help with that, to, to transport those folks, to, to just come and sit with them, to, to tell them that Jesus loves them. Um, to sleep here on the property so that um, they can just be cared for. You'll hear more about that in the next couple of weeks, but I just want to give you a bug in your ear. Just maybe, maybe room in the end is a way that you can tend sheep. Two more. Tonight is a, it's kind of a big deal in the worship ministry. We're doing a night of worship. We're going to have um, just a bunch of people up here on the platform and sing a bunch of amazing songs. The doors will open at 5.40 for the 6 o'clock service. 
I suspect there'll be some people here at 545 who don't know anybody. Maybe you could come a little early and just find somebody you don't know and sit down next to them and say, hey, tell me, tell me your story. Where are you from? Is this your first time here? No, I've been coming here for five years. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe we haven't met. That's okay. Or maybe after the service, you're looking around, um, not just at your friends that you, that you love so much, but you're looking around at other people and you see somebody, they're kind of sitting by themselves and they're, they've been affected by what happened and they'd really like somebody to just come and sit next to them. Maybe not even say anything. Maybe put a hand on their shoulder and just pray silently for them. I, I don't know. But maybe just looking out for people before or after the service tonight. And then one more. And um, We have a bold vision as a church to plant 20 churches by 2020. Some of you, in the sound of my voice, will be pastoring one of those churches. Some of you will be leading worship in one of those churches. Some of you will be keeping the nursery. Some of you will be leading the students. Some of you will be leading children. Um, in, in those churches that we're planting, some of you are going to be planting those churches. And maybe that's the way that you become a leader like Peter became a leader. Maybe that's what goes in the second half of your journal or the last third of your journal that you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm ready. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and by tending my sheep. It's what Jesus taught us about how to love. And even as we sing the words, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. I hope that you will find a deep place in your soul to say, not only am I going to feel this delightful emotion, but I'm going to live out these powerful actions. I'm going to continue growing into the person that you envision me becoming, the identity that you have for me. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're like the big fish that he came looking for, I'd love to talk with you about that. If you're here today and... And you know of somebody that you need to bring, not just to church, but to Jesus. Maybe you'd want to come forward and pray for them, even on your knees. Maybe you are here today and you feel like you have disappointed God and you just can't get over it. Um, would you come and receive his grace? I would love to pray for you. Others would love to pray with you. And maybe today you just need to come and say, I'm ready. I'm going to feed some sheep. I'm going to tend some lambs. I'm going to do the work to show how I love Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for teaching Peter how to love you. Thank you for leaving his story so that we could learn how to love you. Would you help us do it now? Not just sing about it and not just feel it, but do it. Because we do. We love you. We pray in the name of the one who loved us first. 
and loved us completely and loved us perfectly and loves us right now, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand?
Jesus. 